0: In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. And this is the
1: Ask a Painter Live show. Um, this is a weekly live Facebook show where I use my almost three decades of experience in this craft. I got started fairly young in the family business uh, to basically show you What the life of a master crafts person is like paint business entrepreneur and uh, somebody who is very curious about the craft and about the business side of this and is trying to grow both of the the sides of knowledge on that stuff. So uh, this morning, oh my God, everybody's here and uh, and happy all you early risers. Uh, So here's what we're going to do today, guys. Um, we are going to give you a preview of what's to come over the next couple months here This is one of my favorite times of the years uh, at the start of every year I go back through a series called mastering the basics where I basically show you um, Exactly what I did to grow from a single person painting company to now between 30 and 40 people seasonally depending on where we are So, oh my god, we got all the all the greats watching here. We got uh, the Kuiper's we got Iram We got Oscar we got Jason Paris and everybody so uh, all right folks I um, a couple things uh, we're gonna go through a bunch of house housekeeping stuff here but number one I want to hear about your big goals for the year I want to hear about how they um, serve a larger goal uh, and also this is an AMA show where we talk about uh, any question you want any topic you want and in between I'm gonna start previewing what these next couple of, uh, of months are looking like if you guys have never seen the mastering the basic series of this show you do not want to miss it this is something I pour my life into now it's very clinical uh, for the most part. We're going through step by step how to professionalize your business. This is this is knowledge that is not commonly held in our industry. It is commonly held in just about everywhere else. And uh, every week I dedicate an entire show to one topic. I share my resources for free and I actually walk you through them. So here is, uh, in the show notes of this note, excuse me in the notes of this show I'm actually gonna list out the dates and the topics for them so that you guys can actually go back and and reference these shows I will also share with you my one main feeder document how to professionalize your business it has every single one of those steps and it has links to All of the ask a painter live shows that I've done some of them have two some of them have three I link other resources this is a thing that I've collected from other paint business owners I've tried myself we've done all this stuff and I just want to get it out there because it has helped me tremendously Um, and I wanted to help you guys as well too so I want to get into some questions here so let me let me take care of a few other pieces of of housekeeping Um, the I, I host two things called the retreats each year that used to be called the Ask Painter Live Retreat. I've just rebranded it the Retreat. It's about eighteen to twenty of uh, thought leaders in our industry. We get diverse minds, diverse businesses, things like that. Uh, in the past, we've had marketers show up. Uh, this winter retreat, we're actually having a master carpenter show up. Uh, somebody who is just like us, both in thought and mind and family. And they're going to be there, and they're going to show um, they're going to show their sort of side of this thing. So this is not just a bunch of paid business owners, all of the same thoughts. Um, all of the same lot in life. This is a diverse group of people where the the main focus of these retreats is you get to come and you get to make an ask of this group. Like this is a brain trust. This is a think tank. And if you want to solve a problem, if you want to ask permission to be a good leader, if you want a, a thought experiment about the future, if you have some burning questions about life and your business and how they all interact, and you want some of the smartest minds in the industry uh, to, to come down on that ask, and and try to help you solve it or give you some um, perspective this is the thing to do it uh, the winter one is full it's kind of an invite only thing the summer one there is a link in the show notes here if you're interested all you have to do is mark yourself as interested and I start the interview process and we we vet you out and see if you'd be uh, a good contributor to the group um, also if you want a live master's class my master's class slate is wipe clean I'm, I already booked a couple of them uh, for this year I, mean, I got a couple fun ones coming up Uh, but if you want a master's class if you want an ask a painter live show all day live in person where we actually present these topics and we can ask and answer live in question we can learn from each other uh, you can email uh, Marsha Bass at the at the PCI I have a link to her email address in there as well too um, also if you like this business professionalization stuff uh, this is a great uh, this is a great program uh, Jason Paris and I spearheaded a thing called business accelerator and it's basically a learning cohort it's a learning management system it's a group of your peers um, subject matter experts And it takes you through a multi-week, multi-month course. It's this, what we're going to be talking about, Mastering the Basics, but with other people that are doing it with you so you can learn together and hold each other accountable. It's an amazing resource. There's a link for that in there too. Enough now. Last last bit of housekeeping. This is the time of the year where there's a bunch of stuff to announce. The PCA, the Painting Contractors Association Exposition, the big expo, is happening uh, in February. And uh, it's the largest gathering of MasterCrafts people and paint business entrepreneurs in the country uh, and in North America. And uh, there's going to be between four and 600 people, firms, entities there, and uh, tons and tons of people. I'm bringing my entire leadership team. And it's a multi-day thing down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where we learn from subject matter experts. We'll all be there. We'll all be learning together. It's going to be an absolute amazing thing. So. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see. Let's get to some questions here. Let's go to TikTok first here. We are gearing up to do a nine-story building this fall in Montgomery, Alabama. That is awesome, my friend. Uh, it must be a big commercial contractor there. Uh, da, 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 da. Thank you so much for everybody watching on TikTok. Instagram, let's see what we got going on here this morning. Oh, man. Oh, the uh, the Brazilians are chiming in, too. Um all my friends down in brazil there especially my good friend ronnie best friend handler and uh, interpreter when i go down there oh man <laughs> brush strokes hey man how's it going ryan uh good morning my friend how's the last 10 days been so if, for those of you not following me on social media i've been kind of giving a quick account of uh, taking 10 days off with the family and i'm kind of doing a day-by-day account um, um Uh, it's one of those things where, uh, I'm very curious about the day to day machinations of people in my shoes. And I just think it's kind of a nice data point. It's like, Hey, here's what a business owner, um, does when he has potentially 10 days off, uh, to do something with his family. And, uh, so I've been kind of given a brief, brief breakdown every day about, uh, yeah, about, um, about what I've been doing. It's been really, really fun. I've been trying to be very intentional about family stuff here, family stuff, Jason Paris, nice mustache, thank you, my friend, coming from a fellow uh, uh, mustache aficionado. Uh, Ronnie, buongia, my friend. Uh, Toto Bain, Stanley Painting, good morning, my friend. Stanley Painting, my question is, have you ever had another painting contractor belittle you for no reason and tear you down? If so, how do you handle it? Um, Oh, that's interesting. Um, So, (laughs) interesting data points. Number one, on the local level, I'm sure it's happened, right? I mean, our industry is largely unprofessional. It's a little bit regressive. People like to talk bad about the workmanship of their contractors. This is not a thing just in painters. I'm sure it's happened. I've never heard it to my face. Uh, I've never heard it to my face at all. Uh, On a nationwide level, that's a unique data point to me, being the Ask a Painter guy. I'm sure it happens all the time. Um, The good thing is I traffic in a circle of of like-minded individuals. I kind of dog whistle to like the kind of thoughtful golden rule decent human being sort of thing so honestly there are portions of the painter internets you know the groups and the things like that where it gets pretty toxic and it gets pretty crazy and there's a lot of bad core value kind of action going on there Uh, it doesn't really happen in this this is kind of a weird cultivated like self-selecting group of people so i'm sure just like anybody else like um I see this frequently with the like Chris Berry I know Chris Berry Chris Berry's a good guy the i painter guy he has done more to help this industry than almost anybody else uh, he was over there on YouTube 10-15 years ago um, putting down his uh, how to paint videos and there are so many business owners that learn from him now that what comes with that territory of being the lightning rod the influencer is that naturally there's quite a few people who have a knee-jerk reaction of F you <laughs> like screw that guy you know right and I'm sure that happens with me. It's just that you know we've cultivated such a good group of people here like this. I mean, people who are literally like, my family is just starting to rise. Uh, I'm having a cup of coffee. I'm watching the sunrise over my farm. There's pheasants walking around. We got birds down at the bird feeder. Um, we're typically, this is a self-selecting group of people who are like waiting for their family to wake up, trying to learn from the internet. You could be watching fail videos or all sorts of other crazy stuff on, on Instagram or TikTok. But instead you decide to, Talk to me here on a, on a Saturday morning. So I don't actually get a lot of that stuff. Now, maybe to your question is, what happens if and you get a local area where you do get a regressive contractor that does that? Honestly, the best thing to do is to just completely ignore it. Um, that person is not a professional. That person doesn't share your core values. And the more you mention it, the more you're associated with it. I would not even do it. Uh, I would. Uh, I would definitely take it. Uh, I would definitely. Uh, Just ignore it completely. These these people have a way of finding themselves out of the industry. You know, if you believe all the uh, uh, industry data, the average paint business owner takes home $43,000 a year, which stinks. And their average lifespan is like one to three years. So really, uh, chances are, chances are that person will not be in this industry very long if that's what they do. And I just see Tanner Mullen, my good friend, shared the video. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Love, love Tanner Mullen. All right, a couple more IGs. Uh, Oh my God. Good morning, everybody. Green Mountain Painters. I love you guys. If you guys do not follow Green Mountain Painters uh, in Vermont, they are wild. Uh, They have lift porn there. They own some lifts. They do a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, Had a chance to meet them up there uh, when I was in Vermont a couple years ago. Awesome, awesome people. So, oh my God. So many, so many good uh, Paul Dibdahl, Sam Chung. How's it going, everybody? My God. All right. Ronnie, Gia massive difference 6 p.m. Here. Oh my god. It's a sick. Oh, you're in the uh, UAE though. You're in United Arab Emirates though. So that's not Brazil time. Uh, Roddy saying at 6 p.m. I have a question. I remember once you mentioned that you would expand your business towards different fields such as wood uh, framing, drywall trades. How's it all going? Man, interesting question. This is something. um, So upfront and honest, um, entrepreneurs get lured away by shiny things, right? And two years ago, we started a drywall and a carpentry division, and uh, we do not intentionally do a lot of that work now. Um, really interesting reasons. Um, there is an insane demand for some minor carpentry, trim carpentry, cabinet carpentry sort of things in our industry. There is an insane um, demand for smaller drywall projects and lived-in houses, and <clears throat> so much of a demand that when we started marketing our drywall division two years ago, it actually ruined uh, our marketing for a while. There was such a demand, it monopolized over half of our leads and half of our estimates, so much so that our estimators were out there doing estimates, so many drywall estimates, that it didn't feed enough paint business for our business and we had some gaps in the schedule. So um, the reason we, so why don't we do it anymore? You would ask if there's such a demand. It is hundred percent dependent on the drivers of those two things I know how to do carpentry I know how to do the basics of drywall but I am NOT a pro I haven't spent 20 to 30 years in there I don't know all the little ins and outs all the little things that you can only feel and know from experience <clears throat> so I found myself at um, at uh, excuse me <clears throat> I was dependent on the drivers of those two things for carpentry we had an awesome carpenter uh, steve uh, but steve retired uh, we caught steve at the last couple two three four years of his career and he disappeared out into uh he disappeared out into the Northwoods of minnesota and he was perfect he he was our core value match he was a master carpenter he could do anything he helped us with everything but again when we lost him i went on a year search for another steve and we couldn't find anybody that we felt shared our core values so we decided to not do it so we can do minor carpentry a lot of the times, though, we there's a difference between not doing it and then putting down the pedal on it. What we don't do anymore is advertise it at all. Uh, and, and in fact, we never really intentionally advertise a lot of carpentry. Uh, we can still do the stuff. We have some in-house capabilities, uh, especially with restoration carpentry. Uh, and we have this amazing referral list where literally we have six people that we can Tap and they will help our clients as fast as we will they share our core values. It's great So it's a great thing if we ever find another Steve again I will absolutely bring them in house because it was a huge value to the company, but until we find a perfect match I'm not gonna force something right and um, Drywall division. Um, We could not find a good driver for that. We we tried I think two maybe three people and um, Honestly, they were they were uh, we've ran into all the things that uh, everybody in our um, Uh, industry has found which is i'm the best i want a lot of money and then they show up and they don't match your core values and they're actually not that good at their job so we try to coach them up we do some things and then when we don't we just decide you know what Uh, If we can't find anybody to match our core values and do this job, we're just not going to put the pedal down on it. So honestly, we started drywall and carpentry divisions during the time of COVID in 2020. And it was great, but it's highly dependent on the driver. And when we find drivers of those things separately, we'll do a little more. But now we have in-house drywall capabilities. We have in-house carpentry capabilities. But you also have to be careful of how much capacity that stuff takes away from painting because it's it's usually not an add-on because we don't have a bunch of extra added time to give to it it's time that we have that we have to carve out from something else to do that so can you support the base of your painting while going to those other things honestly i'll tell you this we have all the systems we are professionals we knew exactly what we we're doing in three months we had our um pricing down for these things because we job costed and we tracked it weekly and we made adjustments if you do not do any of this stuff do not do that shiny object thing don't be looking for the next thing don't open up a bar don't start drywall don't start concrete coatings if you haven't mastered this one basic thing let's see what we got here Stanley painting my excitement is that the fact that January One year in business, it's been better than I could have imagined. By the end of year two, I want to have at least two quality craftspeople. I love that. You're already setting goals, and uh, uh, obviously, uh, we've been corresponding, and if there's any way I can help you there, that's a huge thing. Again, most businesses only last between one and three years, so it's the first year or two or three is sometimes discovery like hey I'm just gonna do this ah, I'm just gonna get out there and do stuff pretty soon you realize friction points come up and then you look for ways to solve them and most of us uh, I shouldn't say that the way I did that was try to solve it all on my own with no help so the the good thing is that you're already talking to painters it took me 25 years in this industry before I talked to another painter so you're already ahead of the read uh, of the details ahead of the stuff here so um, all oh, the 210 painters 1k and 2k paints what's your thoughts on this these new products yeah so we, we went into the depth uh, in depth in this quite a bit uh, this last show here so here's the deal I'm fans of them I've experimented with them all in my shop wonderful products but you got to know some things about them the knee jerk reaction to a lot of these products is you're a hack if you don't use them they're way better they're way harder they dry faster everything's better but you have to understand they do come with some problems right most of it. Uh, you have to, uh, depending on where you are, I have to get that shipped in to me and it can be negative 20 here. Uh, Shipping can be a problem. Uh, Supply chain can be a problem. Timeliness of the product can be a problem. Uh, When you mix some of those two part components uh, together, there's a shelf life. There's a shelf life on the other stuff as well. You gotta find a dealer to support you. And also, there is a lot of science in those things. And you have to remember, the origin of all these 1K and 2K, the imported Italian stuff, the uh, water-based polyurethanes and things, the origin of these things was in the product finishing world. So think about a huge factory where they're making little picture frames and things like that. And they gotta have a robot and a conveyor belt paint this thing. They need it to drive fast. They need it to be uh, hard so it ships quickly. It's a controlled environment. Scientists set it up. Um, my paint rep, uh, my, my old paint rep is now a paint rep for product finishing and they have such a controlled environment in these factories, like especially when you're doing millions of pre-made, pre-finished cabinets a year. They actually have paint reps that are given to these companies that stay in-house to make sure the products uh, meet a certain standard, the coatings are uh, meet a certain thing, the, the quality of the actual operation. So like Sherwin-Williams will actually have a product coating rep stationed in product coatings factory to ensure that the paint is of standard and all the variables are controlled so not good not bad these things just are you have to understand that they are another option for us they're a great option but they are not simply just hey I'm gonna use emerald trim urethane and now I'm not I'm gonna use this and everything stays the same it is not that be open to the idea that there's gonna be some things that you don't expect to happen will happen and you need to problem-solve them if you don't have a crazy base of coding science knowledge and and, and experience and when you see crackling paint over something what is the things in the past that has showed you uh what to do in that situation it's going to be a little harder for you to work through that but the good thing is we have this great group of people uh, ask a painter live Uh, there's the painters chat room as well painting But also, there's kitchen cabinet painting experts, which they deal with this all the time. They know all the ins and outs, even more than I do. So I would search them out on Facebook, and they are a wonderful resource for that sort of thing. So let's go through some TikTok here. Oh, my gosh. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Oh, we got some TikTok people chiming in. Uh, (laughs) uh, You really made me take pride in my work as a painter. Three years on my own. Hey, congratulations. Uh, That is awesome. We are uh, Anthem paint 2020. Hey, good luck. Uh, and I would give you the challenge of uh, professionalizing as well too, if you have not already. So, uh, definitely chime in, uh, 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 watch on Facebook, watch on Instagram, watch on TikTok. Uh, this next series of somewhere between eight and 10 shows every Saturday is going to be mastering the basics where I go through my steps to professionalization, which is if I'm pushing back a little, if you don't do these things, you are not a real business. You have just created a job for yourself. So I would say watch if you don't have these things, I would start working on them. If you can't work on them right now, know that this is in your future. If you're going to do this the rest of your life, these are things that are optional that are kind of like might be goods. These are things where if you don't do, you are not a professional business and you are going to experience massive friction and possibly even failure uh, in the future there. So all right, Asha, good to see you this morning. Uh, uh, from Instagram, I wanna redo my main living area, kitchen cabinets and flooring. Uh, if I'm painting the cabinets, what do I pick first? Paint color or flooring uh, using luxury vinyl? So here's here's my theory on this. This is an awesome question. I always pick the thing you have less options with. So obviously with luxury vinyl, plank, flooring, you're gonna have less options than paint colors. Paint colors are infinite. Not only are there tens of thousands of colors, but you can also custom make colors. So I would say first, pick your flooring. Um, You can always have a general idea of walls, like, I really want off white creamy walls. Well, good. You've, you've got that pin down now you can go pick flooring you don't need to pick a specific paint color but I would always pick the thing that has the fewest possible options first because that's the most critical thing if you pick a paint color first like a terracotta orange and you're like oh my god this would be so cool then you try to find flooring and you're unable to now you got to go back and pick a different paint color things like that so always go with the thing you pick uh, last now the process in my company as well is to do all of these things uh, in a very specific order um, I always like to paint last which means get Get that flooring in, get your countertops in, get your backsplash, do electrical, do plumbing, do all that stuff first and have painting being last so that you don't have trade damage or touch-ups and uh, things like that. So all right, let's get back to the Facebook feed. Sorry, folks, we had a uh, we had an internet interruption out here. Uh, Cruz Chavez, good morning, my friend. Uh, Fountain City Painting, how are you? Morning, Nick. Got my employee handbook written and got W-2 set up. Have a plan to hire two more in February. Thanks for the videos. Hey, absolutely, man. Uh, I am here for you if you ever need anything. Uh, looks looks like you got a good setup already. Let's uh, keep going on that stuff. And uh, we got a whole bunch of other stuff to do. do, 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 do. Uh, after the first of the year to professionalize. So morning from Texas. Where do I get this handbook? Uh, if you email me, cruise, Nick at nickslavik.com, uh, I will send it to you but it's very important that it's that thing alone again is not going to solve your issues you need to have 10 other things with it and you have to have a process as a professional business owner to actually implement these things so I am going to be going through um, it will be I believe it's 28 January will be the standards and deliverable show where I actually go through job description pay scale employee handbook things like that um, and then I'll be giving my email address off and I'll be obviously sending you guys those things if you want it there too so Jim Dorf my good friend good to see ya thank you Jim Iram thought I missed the rest of the show. Yeah, sorry. Listen, I had to restart the feed. Facebook just decided, hey, that's enough for you. That thing that uh, you've been broadcasting on for almost seven years here, we're just gonna cut your feed off. And good luck with all that. So that's awesome. All right, all right. uh, For those of you just joining here, uh, this is sort of like a quick uh, preview show. This is the last show of 2022. It's a 344th show, which means I've been doing this for 344 weeks without a miss. And I am giving you a preview of what's to come. I do this every year after the first of the year. We go through mastering the basics, and this is basically a um, a show where people, uh, a series of shows where after the first of the year, people usually have a little more downtime than in August and July, right, in their businesses. So what I do is I go through a series of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Between 8 and 10 shows, I still have a couple at the end I might uh, add on. Between 8 and 10 shows, 8 to 10 weeks where I basically walk you through step by step, starting with step one, proven processes, how I professionalize my business. I actually give you the resource that helped me out with that. And then I give you my email address, we can correspond. Um, I have nothing to sell. This is not, I'm not a coach. This isn't a training course. These are things that have helped me. People have given things to me. I've put them together in a very sort of like digestible thing. And I'm going to give them to you with the hopes that at least it gives you a glimpse on what to do. I self implemented all of these things. You do not have to. Uh, There's also a resource for you in the industry uh, called the PCA business accelerator, which is Basically mastering the basics, but with a group of people just like you that meets regularly, there's coursework, there's a learning management system, there's a facilitator for that group, and there's accountability to it. And I have a link in the uh, in the show notes as well, too, here. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a great time. Um, 2023 is going to be a big year on a national and industry level. Uh, we have a whole bunch of... Um, um, initiatives that we want to get across Um, the pca the painting contractors association is probably the best kept secret in the entire trades which is the pca the painting contractors association is a non-profit organization uh, funded largely by the coating manufacturers equipment manufacturers things like that it's highly subsidized and for a couple hundred bucks a year um, basically you can have the most amazing resources ever there's a painter training learning management system so if you want to train a hundred of your own painters there's actually a series of videos both in native spanish and in english to actually train your painters quizzes things like that Uh, the biggest thing that we started last year uh, was the business accelerator which is that thing that i just talked about which is if you want to train yourself how to be a business owner that's the place for you And what's interesting is that, well, why do we need to do that? Um, So in other industries, it's not the case that you have to train people how to be business owners, but in our industry, most people are painters and master craftspeople first, and then because they can't find a professional business to work for, they actually have to start their own. It's better for them to start their own, but they're not prepared to be a business owner, right? Does this ring a bell? This is me, this is you. This is 98% arguably of all of our industry is this. We We have to paint, We have to start a business and we have to teach ourselves how to run a business while we're actually running a business, which is very frictiony. A lot of us are younger. We're starting families. I got four young kids on the other side of that wall. So we have that added into it. Then we have the weird economic things. We have COVID. We have supply chain issues. We have real estate and housing and uh, employment ups and downs and things like that. And most of us were not prepared for this. So in the end, I wanted to make it easy. Jason Paris wanted to make it easy. The PCA wanted to make it easy for you guys to get that information. And it is that. So all right, let's get back to some questions here. Oscar, my good friend. How do you calculate customer acquisition cost and how do you utilize that info? And Holly, I see you uh, have a question there too. Oscar, here's the deal. (coughs) It all starts with a whole bunch of unsexy data gathering. Uh, For me, it's sexy. I love this stuff. But for most people, it's this, which is what do you charge in marketing? Year, or what do you what is your expense in marketing? A year you have to keep track then of how many people contact you uh, for estimates, these are leads. Then you keep track of how many uh, people ask for estimates based on those leads because it's not always the same. Some people just say, you know, they're out of your geographic area, they're not an actual lead, Uh, they're a lead, but they're not a real estimate. And then from those estimates, how many jobs do you get? So, a customer to me is somebody that we actually do a transaction with, we do a project for. So you can take your cost of marketing. Let's say uh, you did, you spent $100 a year in marketing and you got 100 leads out of that, okay? So basically it cost you a dollar a lead. Half of those people became estimates, so now it cost you $2 an estimate. Half of those people became actual jobs. Now it cost you $4 to actually acquire a client. And what you're gonna find is this is the funnel that everybody talks about. Here's all the people in the world, here's all the people that contacted your business, here are the people that wanted an estimate, Here's the people that said yes. The funnel gets smaller as you go down and the price of your marketing stays the same, but you can calculate it three ways. The three most interesting numbers that I track in that regard is the price per lead, price per estimate, and price per completed job. Completed job is technically your client. Um, So then you could say, you know, in my company, let's call it $220. Um, that's just a sniff test I I, we track those numbers I just don't have it offhand, top of mind let's just call it $220 to actually acquire a customer well that tells you then listen it feels like a lot of money but um, that's what it's gonna cost this next year to do that also what's even more interesting sometimes the number doesn't matter as much as the trend line with that number so you can say well hey it cost me $420 to uh, acquire a customer is that high is that low should I be happy should I be sad Um, you need to start benchmarking with other paint business owners and then also you can track it year to year and you can say it doesn't really matter what that number is but you can say I want to have 10% less client acquisition costs so then you say all right, if if client acquisition was 500 bucks and you want to reduce that by 10% then you say okay this next year I want it to be $450 and you can track the trend line So even if you don't know if that number is good or bad, you can see the trend line and try to reduce it or increase it, give or take. So I hope that helps, Oscar. Uh, How I utilize this is uh, the most interesting thing that's happened this year is um, I query five to ten very big professional businesses that are my friends around the country for trends. And they have the data. They have the knowledge. And they're doing stuff way bigger and better than I am. And my ask of them over the last six months has been, what's been changing in your business? What costs are higher than normal? What costs are lower than normal? Almost universally, acquisition costs has gone up, which means it takes more money to get uh, a lead, an estimate, and a client uh, recently. And um, marketing is being a little less effective than it has in the past. And sometimes people even pivot. They go from flyers to door knocking, things like that. Or they switch from social media to flyers or something like that because uh, they're getting diminishing returns. So that's uh, that's how we uh, use that information, Oscar, which is if you're tracking your acquisition costs and it's going up, you can mess with that marketing, do some experiments. But if it's still going up, you might actually have to try some different marketing give or take. So Holly Barlow, how's it going, my friend? Holly, uh, what advice do you give to new business owners to make sure your emotions? Oh, man, this is this is a good one. Emotions or stress levels don't rise and fall with success shortcomings throughout the journey. Unsatisfying answer, be a professional. All those things that we're going to talk about in this next 8 to 10 weeks, if you have those things, um, you're basically overlaying data with the feelings. So... <clears throat> In the past, I have rocketed out of bed, cold sweat in the middle of the night, gas for air because I had this crazy feeling about the business, right? Oh my God, am I doing something wrong? Is is this not going right? Now I have the data to show like, no, uh, honestly, the data doesn't prove that. Uh, You may have that feeling, but it's not backed up by anything you can actually point to. So uh, it really lessens that feeling. So what I will say is, um, honestly, Holly, the solution to those things are job descriptions, SOP, pay scale, review process, employee handbook I mean all that all that kind of boring stuff because that legitimately takes like these crazy high lows of, of running a business like this and it just makes it more steady when um, see if this relates to anybody uh, basically what happens is when we have none of this written down, we're not tracking any data, all we have to go off is the feelings of the business. And when we only have one or two employees, the feelings of those employees can really overtake your own. Like we can be like, oh my God, we're building a good business. I love doing this work. I love being a leader. I love creating these job opportunities. And then an employee throws you a little wrench in that system like that. And and all of a sudden that, that hope can come crashing down and you can be thinking, why am I not a good leader? Why can't I lead this person? Uh, they're not doing their job. And, and you know what? They're actually not being a good person now. Things like that and it can just really take you on this crazy thing and the people in the business their emotions become your emotions and become the business and we can't do that we are strong leaders we created this business we need to have those standards we need to hold those standards we need to hold people accountable to them and for the people that get over that bar give them the world for the people who don't we coach we train we mentor but if they don't respond you got to get them out of there the people will cause the crazy ups and downs and uh, yeah Uh, The people will cause the crazy ups and downs, but if you have a professionally run database business, and this is not sophisticated, this is not even a big business, this is just job costing, standard operating procedures, training process, things like that, honestly, that takes a lot of that away. What will also help too. is forming a team. If you can get a business big enough to actually have a leadership team with you to help you lead everybody else, it takes all that stress of you being the lightning rod and spreads it out over uh, for accountability. It's a really good thing. But uh, yeah, Holly, if you need anything else, you let me know because that's a a big one. I've devoted my life to sort of like working through that stuff and it's uh, it's not easy. So, uh, let's see, Jim Dorf. we're constantly evaluating our marketing, how do you see marketing changing in 2023? Yeah, Jim, so I will, um, so what my strategy uh, for 2023 is diversification, which is um, our two main vectors uh, where we get leads are uh, word of mouth, repeat referral, that's between 25 and 40% of our leads, and uh, flyers, 25 to 40% of our leads at any one time. And so 80% of our leads come from one paid marketing source and one unpaid marketing source. So really that's, to me, that's a threat vector. So what I did is I started uh, email marketing and I started social media marketing, but very tightly controlled experiments this last year. And uh, we'll probably expand uh, doing a little more uh, maybe SEO and things like that and uh, branding and brand awareness. But uh, that stuff gets a little squishy. Uh, So I think we're gonna continue to explore. Uh, I would really like my lead sources to come from about four main areas instead of really one paid and one unpaid, give or take. So I just just kind of, you know, uh, spread it out a little bit, uh, which, is, which uh, I think is a good thing to do. Track some experiments and see. Um, really, there's kind of like... To me, this is way oversimplified, but to me, there's kind of only two problems in business, two main problems, which is finding employees or finding jobs. And I think depending on um, the macro economy, that kind of gets switched for us sometimes, which is like, in an economy that is down and there's high unemployment, the cost of housing is up, jobless goes up, things like that, you're going to find employees a lot easier, right? Because unemployment goes up and, and people are looking for more opportunities. But when the market is just rocking like we've had for 10 or 15 years here and you know unemployment in my area is 2%, give or take, what you're going to find is that jobs are harder to find. And what I'm thinking now is uh, this kind of doesn't follow the data a lot, but when I talk to the businesses who track all this stuff, we're not really that interested in large macroeconomic things. Things. we're interested but we don't use them as excuses for things happening in our business because we are still in control of a lot of the ups and downs in our business so what I'm finding is that acquisition cost for leads and marketing cost is going up and people to the point where it's getting high enough where people are actually trying other forms of marketing so what I would say is I don't have a silver bullet for this stuff but I will tell you exactly what I do which is I've spent the last six months doing very tightly controlled experiments getting out there trying new things uh, so that when we do need it, we've already had a big track record and a data set under us. So I would, I would definitely do that. So we're, we're tracking uh, social media marketing, email marketing, flyer marketing. Um, and then we're, we're doing a thing uh, where we're actually being uh, a little more aggressive with it, which is something that we call the hunt list, which is we're making lists of um, uh, uh, businesses uh, construction firms uh, things like that and we're actually going out there and trying to form relationships for this stuff so that's a whole nother level now you move from estimating into sales where you actually create relationships and then sell based on those relationships uh, with other people who share your core values so yeah that's uh, a couple more Facebook then we'll get to Instagram I see you guys on there Uh, What kind of things are included in your employee handbook? Oscar. Yeah, so this is, all right, so this isn't the secrets to business, right? It's basic employment law, both local, federal, uh, and state employment law, but it's also things specific to your business. Imagine if you're an employee and you have a death in the family and um, you want some bereavement leave. Uh, If that's not written down in your company, how is that employee supposed to know what the process is for requesting it? How much time can they give? How much notice do they need to give? And how much time do they actually get off? If this isn't written down, they're basically beholden to you and your employees will feel that your decision is based on your feelings. I'm going to give you bereavement leave either because Whatever they can attach your feelings to it Even if you're following local state and federal law if it's written in your handbook It's a thing they can reference so then all of a sudden you're not deciding if they get bereavement leave the handbook And the law decides what their bereavement leave is and it takes that lightning rod off of you And there's no emotions attached to it. So at the basic level It's that thing Oscar which is it's a thing where you can all reference to hold each other accountable one of the biggest things in mind is a code of conduct which is here's the things that if you touch any of these things It's likely you're gonna lose your job That's it. It's a code of conduct. Every real business has one, right? It's things you need to do, the basic employment standards, of when you sign up for a full-time job, this is what attendance looks like. This is what um, code of conduct looks like. This is what interpersonal relationships look like in the company. Here's what's expected of you. Here's what's expected of your employer as well, too. So it's a very important document. And uh, when you start getting uh, more employees, the, the HR side of your business needs to grow. And honestly, we're gonna be about a $3 million company. We still can't afford an in-house HR person. So one of us is gonna to have to do this stuff, and it's been me over the years here. And I've really, um, because I've had to, I've really gotten to know local, state, and federal employment law. Give or take, and uh, in times of COVID, it's really helped you because the um, employment and unemployment goes absolutely wacky. And if it's all new to you, it's going to be crazy. But if you have an employee handbook, which I get vetted by a lawyer once a year as well too for a couple hundred bucks, it's an av- it's an amazing resource for you. And it just it just like lays down this baseline of like, hey, here's what a job looks like. Job description. Think about this. <clears throat> if if you have nothing written down in your business if you just hire people and and you paint with them if one of your employees comes to you and says hey I'm not getting on ladders anymore i just don't feel comfortable and you say well you're a painter you have to that employee could turn around and say show me anywhere in an employee handbook or a job description where it says I'm required to get on ladders otherwise I lose my job and if you don't have that written down they can file for unemployment they can do whatever they want and basically the state will look at your case against theirs and they typically side with the employee and I would I would not blame them if I mean obviously there's this like they took a job as a painter it's kind of understood that you're going to be on ladders but honestly if it's not written down it doesn't exist and I could see I could absolutely see a world where that would be held against you And I kind of wouldn't blame them. So uh, it's very important. It's like a foundational document sort of thing. So Phil Klein, my good friend, good morning. (laughs) Steve Lockwood, if it's not on paper, it doesn't exist. That's it. And the next part of that, I actually need to make the the next sentence, which is, if it's not held accountable, it's useless. Which is like, you have to have a system for actually... Introducing this to people teaching them about it showing them how to work with it and then holding them accountable to it Because again if you have this employee manual, which is basically a contract so think about the contracts we give to our clients if you have this crazy contract and uh, You kind of just have the client ad hoc sort of like sign it or not sign it at all But you have it and you have to take it out and wave it in front of them at any one time. That's an adversarial sort of action and they will not look kindly upon it. Same thing with your employees. If you have an employee handbook and you haven't introduced it to them, showed them how to function with it and you bring it out and say, you have to do this because this is the employee handbook. They'll be like, listen, man, that's a 40 page document. Yeah, I didn't read that thing. You never showed it to me. You know, so you have to be the good business owner and you have to introduce it. You have to teach it. You have to hold people accountable to it and show them how to work within it, give or take. It's a foundational document. That's just being a decent human being, give or take. So, all right. Let me go through, do, 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 do. just seeing what we got. We got TikTok. Do, do, do. Oh my gosh, got lots of people watching on uh, uh, IG here. Let's see, I don't wanna miss any comments. All right, oh, Jade with Premium Painting. Good morning, how are you? Uh, Freddy Carrillo, my good friend. Made uh, made my last uh, Brazil trip possible. Uh, Bojia, my friend. Do, 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 do. Let's see what else we got here. Ah, Feliz Año Nuevo, my friend, Rodrigo. Uh, Rodriguez, thank you so much. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, George Clemosara. Sorry, I got a scratchy throat this morning. My stress is I keep training guys to do what I do, and they keep uh, leaving to start their own company. So, George, this is a common refrain in the industry, right? I'm afraid to train people because they go off on their own. Um, George, yeah, I have a lot of respect for you, right? Like, we know each other from the Internet and things like this. Here's the thing that I will say to you, but I really mean it to the entire industry, which is if somebody leaves your, don't take this personally, I'm talking way more to the industry than to you, George. If somebody leaves your company, it's because there's a better opportunity out there. So one of the things that I try to do in my company is to make opportunities for people beyond what they could ever do on their own. And that's fine. If somebody wants to start their own company, guess what? I will offer subcontracting, I'll offer to be a partner with them, we'll do some other things, which I would, I would say you do as well. But we also have positions on my leadership team. And we have a pay scale where uh, right now, two thirds of my company makes more than the average paint business owner as employees with no stress and no risk and no liability. So I would say, George, this is a very deep conversation, and it sounds like I'm saying you're a crappy boss, and they all leave because of you. Um, but I will tell you this: uh, if you want to continue this conversation, Nick at Nickslavic.com, we can absolutely do that because this is a deep conversation about this stuff. And one of the things that I will, I will say is, data plus feelings, which is the statement you made of that I train everybody and they leave to start their own business is a feelings-based and a little bit data-based. But I bet you if we dive into it. Um, over over a conversation, both electronically or in person, I bet you we could, we could either prove or disprove that, but then also find some things um, that you could probably do uh, for better retention. And I would say this, again, I'm gonna hit this again because it is true. You may not want it to be true, it may be unsatisfying, but those seven or eight steps to professionaliz- professionalization, starting with SOPs, proven process, estimating system, job costing, standards and deliverables, team development, estimating process, oh, I think I said that twice. Honestly, it doesn't feel like that would retain people or give people other opportunities, but it 100% does. So if any of those things are missing from your business, honestly, before you start determining whether the people are bad or not, I would absolutely say that is the bare minimum entrance fee to having a professional business to actually retain people, give or take. So uh, George, listen, that's a conversation that, oh, man, I, could, I could talk about that for a week. A week of lectures a week of conversation things like that so we can dive into that anytime you want George (laughs) oh I appreciate that oh let's see Garcia Garcia Brothers painting Nick the biggest challenge for me is finding good workers Um, so right now in our industry that's a common refrain which is like what's the biggest pain point in a business right now no good people right well over the last over the last couple years, statistics will show you that two-thirds of all humans in the workforce have been looking for other work. So in my county right now, there's about 2% unemployment, which is insane. Like the lowest ever. It's almost statistically improbable. Um, theoretically, two-thirds, 66% of all humans have been looking for a job. So you could, you could, you could make the thought leap that the unemployment rate could be. in the nation it may never have been an easier time to find employees now what I will say again um, Garcia brothers painting again super unsatisfying question which is if you don't run a professional company and you're not Actively seeking out people if you actually don't have it on your calendar What is your standard operating procedure for posting jobs? Do you have a job description? Do you have a pay scale? Do you have a way to inspire people in your business? Do you have a way to find them? Do you spend money and time to find them? Do you have an interview process where they have to jump over gates? Do you have core values in your company to determine who's gonna make a good employee and not? Do you have a phone interview process, uh, in-person interview process? Do you have a way of evaluating people's both experience, their resumes, and their core values to see if they're gonna be in their company? And when you do make a, um, a decision to hire somebody, What's your onboarding like? What's your training like? What's your review process like? What's your pay scale to show them a future? So I would say you could see all all this stuff is interconnected. If you just have an employee handbook, who cares? If you just have a pay scale, but you don't have any training, how do they know how to move through that pay scale? All this stuff is intertwined in this beautiful way. And I would say, Garcia Brothers Painting, if you do not have all those things, honestly, it's going to be harder because you're basically going on a feelings-based thing. I will tell you guys all this, I'm not the one standing here saying there are millions of people out there that are perfectly good painters, they're great humans, and they want to come work for you. This is not it. This is hard to find people. I'm not going to lie to you about that. But I can guarantee you this, I spend 50 hours and about $4,000 four times a year to get between two and four candidates four times a year. And when I do this process, I can guarantee you that I'm gonna find two to four candidates four times a year, give or take. Now, yes, it takes time, right? It takes two weeks of my life four times a year, and it takes some money to do it, but I'm being intentional about it. So magically, if you're out there trying to find a spouse and you never leave your home, and all you're complaining is there's no good spouses out there, and you're not out there on a, on a, on a uh, dating app, if you're not out there at mixing it up uh, publicly and socializing, and you still say that, you haven't done the basic things that you need to find a spouse. Same thing with employees, same, same thing with clients. We have no problem spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in marketing to find clients. Most painters will not spend one red cent to find an employee. Or any anytime they basically take a free ad they they make a Facebook post with a generic thing that says we're hiring hey must be a good person must have good work ethic pay based on experience lift 50 pounds driver's license uh, must be a hard worker and when nobody signs up for that job they're like well there's no good people out here and I would say boy that is an uninspiring completely unintentional way to find people and if you did that You would never accept that as a way of marketing to find clients, right? You would say, oh my, that's what you do to find clients? And you say there's no clients out there? There's tons of clients out there. We need a hell of a lot more clients than we need humans in our business. Arguably, most paint businesses need a person a year. You're telling me you can't find a person a year. What I would do first is go through your contacts, your relationships and you can farm all those things first because you already have a base of knowledge with all these people um, uh, but again that's a that's a very long sort of like again intertwined sort of thing but Garcia Brothers listen this is not me saying uh, shame on you this is me saying I feel you I feel you you know the answer to this we just have to do it it's semi painful but it is a thing so all right all right let's go back to TikTok here we got some stuff coming through here this is awesome all right uh, I have trouble with my pricing Mm-hmm anthem paint. I charge 50 an hour. So all right Here's a here's a weird thing in our industry that most people don't know this doesn't mean you're a bad person uh, It just means that you do not have the knowledge uh, That most people don't possess right now, which is if you want to run a professional business $50 an hour is not going to cut it folks, but here's the common thinking If I work for Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration as an employee, he'll pay me 25 to 30 bucks in a couple years, and you know what, that's great, but what if I want to make $45 an hour? I'm going to start my own business and charge $45 because now I'm making $15 more an hour than what Nick would pay me. The problem is, and the thing that most painters don't know, is that it costs at least $50 to $55 of revenue an hour to run a professional business, so if you work for a painter a paint company and you're making 30 bucks an hour and you're going to go on your own and charge 50 it's likely you will have less money at the end of the year than you will working for somebody else. The minimum that a painter should probably be charging and producing is 75 to 100 dollars an hour. Now people say they charge 50 dollars an hour. The problem is that is not what you produce. Um, Production is way different than that. People say my charge rate is 75 dollars an hour. When you actually go through their job costing or their profit and loss they're usually making $19 an hour at the end of it because remember remember this if you're gonna go off on your own all the liability is yours you have to do all the estimates you have to buy all the equipment you have to buy insurance you have to find employees Uh, clients can decide not to pay you with an employee if you're an employee of somebody you can put your foot through a coffee table and that that employer has to pay you now you might lose your job but you're still gonna get paid, you have no risk. In the evenings and weekends, when you punch out, you are done, when you're a business owner, you do not. I can guarantee you this, 98 to 99% of our entire industry is single owner operators, which isn't good or isn't bad, it just is. They take home on average forty three thousand dollars a year which is twenty one and a half dollars an hour so when you say you're charging fifty you're likely making less than twenty bucks an hour when all said and done and number three they go out of business every one to three years and you want to know why because they're making twenty one dollars an hour for all that risk that is not worth it so I will tell you this you need to be producing $75 an hour not even charging $75 an hour because you're gonna have to buy the paint uh, as well, too, and that is uh, yeah That's a tough thing. So this is a very long conversation uh, and the painting. I appreciate that though Um, Do I need to add? uh, For business to grow it. Yes, uh, you absolutely do Uh, Let's see. I've never had an employee. So I guess I really uh, self-employed not a business That's a great realization. But again, remember that is not a value judgment. It's not good. It's not bad It just is 99% of our entire industry has created a job for themselves. A high-stress, low-paying job. Two-thirds of my own employees make more than the average paint business owner in the United States. Not because there's anything crazy special about us. It's because we've done all those boring, kind of unsexy things to professionalize our business. It's just a simple thing where we, we know what we can pay our painters. We can give them those opportunities that they can't get on their own. And if they do go on their own, we're a professional business that can partner with them, give or take. So it's a, it's a really cool kind of place to be. Um, but yeah, I, that is like Anthem Painting from TikTok. Beautiful statements, super self-actualized. This is the new way in the trades, and I'm glad you're reaching out with this stuff because there are people, 99% of our industry is in your shoes, which is we gotta detach these feelings from it. We gotta make sure that, listen, we need to be realistic about the risk that we take on to produce what we do. And if we love this craft as much as I do and you do, I wanna practice this an entire lifetime. And charging 50 bucks an hour and making $21 an hour because we have to buy all that stuff, is not a way to do that the rest of your life you'd be better off having no risk no liability and working for somebody else for 30 bucks an hour at the end of the year so average paint business owner takes home 43k a year you can probably right now go make 60k a year with benefits and a four-day work week and no stress and no liability somewhere else but I wouldn't do that I want more we are capable of so much more and that's why we're business owners things like that so um, Anthem painting. If you ever need any resources, I'm here to help. Uh, you can always email me nick at nickslavic.com and definitely chime in on Facebook. Watch that Mastering the Basics series after the first of the year. I basically tell you how to do all this stuff. I give you my resources for it, and then we, uh, then we, uh, then we do it together. So, all right, let's go back to Facebook here. Holy mama! Thanks, guys. We're getting a whole bunch of uh, comments here. Uh, Juan Laredo. That's crazy, but it makes sense. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that uh, so. Now, he's talking about the the, the stats I keep rattling off. Data plus feelings. The feelings is, God dang, there's a whole bunch of low ballers, there's a whole bunch of these small painting companies that that are undercutting my price. The thing is, they are charging $21 an hour, they're making $43,000 a year based on that logic of if I can't work for Oscar for 30 bucks or if I work for Oscar for 30, I'm gonna go off on my own and charge 50. These are the undercutters. They're not bad people. They just don't know that they're undercutting. They're not looking at your business and say, oh my God, you know what? If if Juan charges $70 an hour, I'm gonna charge 50 and I'm gonna undercut all his work. They have no idea what they're charging. In fact, they may think they're overcharging at $50 an hour, which is not true. Call, Call 10 plumbers right now and ask them, what is the charge for you to come out and unclog my shower drain right now? You're gonna get at a minimum 120 to come out there for about a half an hour. Really what you'll find is that they're gonna charge you between You know somewhere between 150 and 250 dollars and then they're gonna charge you extra time and materials when they're on site just to do it for painters we're out there saying yeah for 35 bucks I'll come out give you a free estimate I'll start painting this room I'll buy my own paint and if you don't like it guess what I'll just paint it again for you for free a plumber and electrician would never do that and the plumbing and electrical trades are way more professionalized than we are so take a look at those Uh, Frank good to see you my friend uh, Bernie Ansey, going back to more old school uh, print marketing requires more legwork, but as the economy tightens, businesses are going to uh, lean more on Facebook, Google ads, and SEO. Other businesses flooding that platform will lead to higher digital acquisition costs. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to find that. Uh, and, but there's lots of ways, both a uh, uh, lot of uh, problems in businesses or friction points can be solved with time and money or both. So I always think of it as when we're going to solve a problem, if we want to find more employees, do we do it with our time? Do we do it with our money or do we do it with a combination of both? So think about it kind of that way. So, uh, (laughs) Cami, Sweet Ginger Interior, good morning, love the Buck Hill video. Tubing is now on the agenda. That is a wild time over there. That's wonderful. Uh, Daniel Stroud, what's the best bang for buck for leads? So here's the deal. Um, You get a BS answer from everybody, which is it depends on your market. It depends on this. Really BS, but honestly, there might be a little truth to it, which is whatever you are intentional with, and you track the data from, will magically get you good leads, uh, or good uh, percentage of leads, or lowest cost per leads. If people just say, I'm gonna dump five grand into Facebook and Instagram this month, you don't track any of the stuff, you're not uh, intentional about it, it's all wasted, it's all wasted. So honestly, if I were to like, if, if you were to say to me, hey Nick, um, uh, I want you to do an experiment with a non-traditional form of marketing and see if you get results, honestly, if you gave me 10 grand a month, and I went out there, it was super intentional about newspaper ads, I bet you I could drive a whole bunch of leads. And in fact, I do have a newspaper ad that is one of my lowest acquisition costs. The problem is it's not really scalable because it's in an ultra-local newspaper, kind of in um, my base of influence around here. I could try to do that in other areas, um, but I also want to be cautious of that has not been a highly growing <laughs> or optimistic, Uh, Industry, the newspaper industry. So uh, it's one of those things where it's like, listen, for the money that I uh, spend on it, I get the leads I need. And it's just another way of diversifying. So bang for the buck, honestly, that really depends. To me, bang for the buck is what are your cheapest leads or bang for the buck is what gives you the most leads. And those are two different things in my company. The cheapest leads are word of mouth, repeat and referral. So honestly, it's one of those things where it's like, those are all free, they're the best leads. If you can get more of those, that's great, right? That's the best bang for buck for leads, but you can't control it largely you know you can do good work and hope people pass your name but you can't say I need twice as many leads in December so I'm gonna I'm gonna put the pedal down on word-of-mouth repeat and referral and it's like that normally doesn't you can't really control a lot of that the things that gets me the most leads are flyers but that's been diminishing returns in the last uh, 18 months give or take so you got to track that and uh, yeah two ways of answering that so Ding, doo, 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 doo. Oh, Benjamin Bryant. Hey, how you doing, man? Uh, signing off now. Looking forward to the next couple months. It's going to be awesome, man. So Ben's a local uh, a guy we partner with, handyman here. Love working with him. Uh, he's one of the people we refer to our clients because he's awesome. Uh, Happy New Year, Nick. Uh, Evo. Uh, I'll email uh, you these next couple of days, get on track, you got it, and watch those Mastering the Basics. Uh, Sweet Ginger just paid $350 an hour, two guys to fix our our on-demand heating system. I trust them and I pay it. That's right, because we don't have that knowledge. That's what the other trades do. They just say listen this is what we need to run a professional business and if we can't charge it guess what we'll find somebody else and enough of those trades those on-demand heating trades HVAC plumbing electrical they know that there's like a minimum that they have to charge and certainly they could charge less and get more jobs but then their business goes out of business and they would never do that But painters will absolutely do that all the time so good lesson all right let's go back to IG real quick here see if we missed anybody Uh, George I'll definitely email good man oh Tucker painting how's it going man Nick when you're interviewing what's your process of knowing if someone shares your core values are you just asking them upfront or certain questions yeah so here's the deal this is an unsatisfying answer which is you can't determine that hiring is a guess and I don't I don't care what anybody tells you I've disc profiled people I've personality profiled people I've put them through certain questions I've done all the tricks uh, that people always say if you ask them this magic question they they reveal something about themselves here's the deal this is how you know, this is the best thing I've determined, A super unsatisfying answer, which is look at their work history. If they hop jobs every six to nine months, they're gonna hop jobs on you, basically. That's how it works. If you call their references and everybody says, that human has worked for me from this time to this time and no more info on it, you know that they're probably not likely a great employee. If they say, oh my God, it's, it's George, love that person oh too bad we had to lose him he moved this and that then you know that's a good person employers are put in a weird spot with uh references right now if somebody calls me up and says hey i'm looking for uh did you Did you ever uh can you tell me about sarah sarah says she worked for you a couple years ago what can you tell me about sarah legally all i can say is sarah worked from x to x if you say anything negative, even if their performance was completely negative, that opens up you to libel. Uh, and uh, it's a weird legal area that might get you into some trouble. But there's nothing legally wrong with, oh my God, that is the best person ever. And uh, there's only two ways that those um, reference calls goes. That human worked for me from this day to this date. I can't tell you anymore. Or business owner to business owner, you will never get in libel problem with saying, she is the best ever. We loved working with her here. Uh, I think she moved away. Uh, that's why she left the job here. We would take her again in a heartbeat. That's the only other option with that sort of thing. So, <laughs> uh, but there is no magic interview questions. What I do is I put a bunch of hurdles in front of people, which is my ads are different, which self-selects a lot of grumpy old tradespeople out of it uh, that are kind of just like, don't share our core values. In the phone interview question, uh, here's, here's the best thing that I found, which is you ask them about gaps in their employment um, you ask them about their last two to three jobs and you look for the trend line uh the one trend line i always see is i didn't get along with management management is bad we didn't see eye to eye that sort of thing and those are all red flags for me if if your last three managers didn't see eye to eye with you it, you might have been the problem as well too doesn't make you a bad person it's just like you will never call up my old employers and get yeah nick didn't see eye to eye with management be like no nick was a killer And Nick just found another opportunity. We miss him and it'd be great to have him back. He's a good worker, good worker. That's what you're going to find with that. So uh, also, uh, the best interview question I found on the phone is to ask them about some of their previous employment and then just shut up and listen. Listen to them talk. And there are no magic interview questions. Um, It's actually super disheartening to me. When I ask people any of the traditional interview questions, you get bullshit answers or not answers at all. It's amazing. Like if you were to, if you were to write down the question, like, tell me what your biggest, like, what's the biggest thing you've accomplished? And when you write down their answer, they don't even answer it. It's just some combination string of words that feels like they're answering it, but it didn't actually answer the question. I see this in podcasts, I see this in interviews, nobody actually directly answers the question. If you ask me, if you ask me that question, I was like, well, listen, I could give you six, how about I start with the top two and then if you want more, you let me know. And then I would actually say, this is the number two biggest accomplishment I've ever done, this is the number one, and that's why it's important to me. You will never get that out of anybody interviewing, you just don't. And it's been a super disappointing process to me. It doesn't mean they're bad people, it just means that people are bred to have these knee-jerk stock answers or seemingly quality answers to these questions and they're not that useful. So honestly, if you just ask a simple question like, hey, what kept you busy after high school and then shut up for eight minutes, you'll get wild, wild amounts of information back. That's the thing, so. (laughs) Let's go back through IG. Garcia Brothers, thank you, Nick. Excellent response, thank you for all your knowledge you bring to the industry. Absolutely, happy to do it, my friend. I get a lot out of this. So Raul Pinturas, ah, Bojia, good morning. Uh, let's see, Patrick Cizia, Uh would you recommend the ZK marketing training? Uh, any chance you get to hang around with the people at ZK, especially Zach, I would, I would take it. So I was actually in Zach's first ever ZK finishing class and uh, he had asked me to audit it for him. So I took like three pages of notes and uh, you know, cause I do a bunch of in-person stuff and uh, he, he entrusted me with a lot of stuff. He's a constant improvement guy and he really wanted to be beat up. Uh, honestly, the course is awesome. So uh, also it put me in contact with people like Jade Turner and a whole bunch of other master craftspeople from around the country, which uh, I still have friends today. So it's not always just the information there. It's also the like people you meet and uh, spending two or three days being intentional about your business with other people is never a bad idea. And also, Zach is one of my favorite people in the industry. he actually be coming to my winter retreat. So that's awesome time. Tucker Painting. <laughs> that's about how I figured the answer would be. Thank you. Nick, looking forward to seeing you in 23. Yeah, same thing too. <clears throat> Let's go back to uh, Facebook. Bring Yancey. How do you implement your flyers? Door-to-door campaign, direct mail, local businesses. <clears throat> so the way that I chose to do it, and again, remember, I haven't tried everything and exhausted all my resources and then went back to the thing that did the best. We're slowly working up on that. But what I what I got really interested in early on was something called EDDM through the U.S. Postal Service, Every Door Direct Mail. So it is actually illegal to print off a stack of flyers and walk up and down a neighborhood and jam them in post, box, uh, post uh, uh, mailboxes, right? That's like federal property, whatever. You can get in trouble. It's got all your contact info, so it's not hard to figure out who did it. Uh, But what you can do is you can uh, follow the process through the U.S. Postal Service where you can pick mail routes, which is really cool. It's a great data and analytic tool that's free on their website. You can see a postal code, how many people live there, the amount of uh, revenue, the amount of uh, people in the household, uh, demographics, things like that. Choose your postal routes. You have to print off some uh, header pages, some cover pages. You have to group your flyers in a certain amount, band them, and then deliver them to that post office. And then that mail carrier has to take a flyer and put it in every single one of those uh, people's mailboxes. Now, the trick or the hack to that is there are a whole bunch of EDDM certified companies, printing companies out there. I partnered with one here. They will actually work with me on my creative stuff, my art, my flyers. They will print the flyers. They will bundle them based on my... Thing I want to send out 15,000 flyers a week, I want them in these neighborhoods, they'll find the routes, they'll bundle them in the routes, they'll deliver them to the post office. So all I do is help with the artwork, tell them how many a week, and they get it out there and get it done that's how it works um, you can again solve these issues with time and money I decided to do a little bit of both a little bit of my time a lot of my money uh, you could also just print off a stack which is a little bit of t- uh, money and you could use a lot of your time and going door-to-door now there is nothing um, <clears throat> if you if you don't have the war chest for doing a whole bunch of flyers and you needed work right now what I would do is print off door hangers or print off flyers and I would go to a local municipality, and for somewhere between 25 and 100 bucks, you can get a solicitor's permit or a peddler's permit, which allows you to actually sell things door to door. And you can take that stack of flyers, and if you do this very um, discreetly and professionally, you can somehow attach a flyer, stick a flyer, set a flyer, place a flyer at every house along there. And if somebody says, hey, you're not allowed to do that, no soliciting. Well, I actually have this badge from the city of New Prague, my town, that says I, I'm actually permitted to do this. So you may not like it and you can throw this away, but legally I can do this. So that's a way to do it. So, oh, hey everybody on TikTok, uh, bom dia to all my Brazilian friends there this morning. Let's see what else we got in here, make sure I didn't miss any. All right. Let's see here. All right, here we go. We got Bernie's question. Thank you for that. Uh, Sean Sullivan, what are you charging per hour per painter? same rate painter on a three painter team so here's the deal Sean that is a interesting question but it's probably one of the least useful sort of uh, metrics which is people brag and boast about charging all sorts of wild stuff all over the internet but the problem is they don't track what they produce so when somebody calls us up Sean and they say hey we want a time and materials job we'll say All right, client uh, it's $75 an hour plus our materials and that's what we would charge per there but when we go out there and we estimate a job we 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 guarantee that we're not going to charge more than this and it's our opportunity to do it in the least amount of hours and deliver the best product for the client so that the charge rate is a completely useless sort of um, I didn't say that's a little pushback it's not useful it's not useful because you're gonna get all sorts of BS answers from people all over the place the more interesting answer is found out by job costing, which is, what is the dollar per hour rate you're actually producing when you get done with a job? And those numbers are gonna vary. So I'll, I'll tell you, we charge $75 an hour, which is fairly low for a professional painting company, but we have a large growing company. Uh, and in the end we produce sometimes we produce as low as negative numbers if we lose money on a job sometimes we produce two three hundred dollars an hour on a job depending on the job and the profitability we estimate things by market rate which is hey if you want a beer mural a one-off beer mural done on a silo and you have a very short deadline guess what there's almost nobody that can do it we're going to charge a certain amount for that it's going to be a lot more than painting the walls in a bedroom because there's way more people that can do that and the price will be a little bit lower so so on those two projects you say what do you charge per hour i could tell you what we produce on those two things but those are just a, a market uh, a function of the market pricing that and not us pricing that so sean what i will say and i, I certainly don't mean to push back but i will say that's one weird little data point uh I would ask people like me, and I would look at your own business and actually say, what are you producing? Because I think that's the most surprising number. People say they charge $50, $7,500 an hour, but when they actually do their P&L or do their taxes at the end of the year, literally they're making less than 20 bucks an hour, and they'd be better off having a job uh, with somebody else. So, uh, all right, a couple more and then we're out of here because I've been on for, oh geez, more than an hour now. So. All right, Smith & Sons Painting. Good to see you guys. Wondering what your thoughts are on offering higher end finishes such as gloss ceilings. We appreciate this info as always. So here's the deal on this. Um, this is unique to me, my company, my market, my location. Uh, as far as I can tell, there is a market that exists or you might be able to create a little bit of market for this, but the problem is it's not widespread. There's not a bunch of organic demand for it. So you'd have to get out there and and kind of create that market. Um, I will tell you this I know all the best people in the United States that do this stuff it's tricky folks it's really tricky um, I will pass along something that was said to me years ago about this they're sexy finishes right somebody who does this at a very high level and does it all year round pulled me aside and said you know I kind of asked them like hey just I want to know from a pro what what's it really like the business end of these gloss finishes they pulled me aside and said If you ever wanna charge $45,000 to do a living room and lose your ass on it, do a high gloss finish for that person. And that is somebody who does it all year round, all the time, they're pros at it, in a major uh, metro area with a lot of old money. So I will tell you this, Smith & Sons, there are ways that people do that profitably, but if you think that charging 30 to 45 grand for a living room is easy money and you're gonna rake it in, if you've ever wanted to lose money, That is a good project to lose it on if you're not an expert at it. If you can't deliver perfect guaranteed results first time every time, it is fraught. It is fraught with potential disaster. And it's 99% labor and a little bit of paint. So if your labor is off, it's not the coating that makes the high gloss. It's everything you do with it. So unless you're an expert at it, uh, there's a huge learning curve to something like that. I love it. I do it. We've done it for the business, but it's always been a very controlled sort of thing uh, that we we know we're getting into. That this isn't easy money at all. It's probably the hardest money you make. So, <laughs> all right, good morning, everybody. All right, so, <clears throat> uh, anthem painting. Never thought about the producing aspect of it. Yeah. So, listen, the thoughts that I'm seeing stream through through anthem painting on TikTok this morning is exactly what I wish everybody would think of in our industry. This isn't good, this isn't bad, it just is. We all came to this industry probably as painters first and business owners second, and honestly, we have to think about what do professional businesses do? Do you think you would ever get a job at a bank, at Target, at Best Buy, for the Minnesota Vikings, and they wouldn't have a pay scale, a job description, an employee handbook, onboarding, review process, training process? If you if you, it is ridiculous when you think about that. How are you supposed to know what is expected of you if it's not written down on a piece of paper? In our industry, I know professional companies that do millions and millions of dollars worth of work. They'll hire on a production manager and there's no job description. They're like, yeah, come on, it's going to be fun. You're going to be in charge of projects. Let's just do it. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. But that is our industry. It's not good. Well, okay, it is not good and it is bad but we can do better. And our industry is literally changing right under our feet uh, right here. Uh, Let's see what we got here. Absolutely. Thank you everybody for the nice compliments. Um, uh, Let's see, Anthem Painting. Oh my God. So Anthem Painting, you, you've just posted some of the most thoughtful comments ever, especially for TikTok and stuff like that. So please email me, Nick at nickslavic.com. I got some mind-blowing stuff to send you that have helped me, and uh, I can tell your thought process is in the right direction. Uh, definitely get a hold of me, and uh, we can we can do some knowledge share together. I'd like to learn more about you as well too. So, all right, last question, Seth Spangler from Facebook, what is your thought on union versus non-union? So here's the deal. I have no thoughts I have no experience well I shouldn't say that I do have thoughts but I have no experience with it Uh, I do not have a crazy history of interactions with unions all right Um, the idea of unions is job stability higher pay benefits retirement health insurance things like that Um, but in the end what you find out is that well if that's the case Why aren't why isn't the entire industry union or why aren't people flocking to it and in fact there has been a decline in unions all over the United States and certainly in Minnesota there are basically no union residential painting companies now yes there are out there right but when you go back to the 70s and the 80s a lot of the new house new construction was done by labor unions and painters and it was largely controlled by that but it has become less and less and less every year so why you might ask well I mean either those promises aren't real or the working conditions aren't great Um, one of the things that you have to know about unions painting unions specifically is not good not bad it just is they do a lot of industrial commercial and municipal work if you want a job restoring Victorian mansions houses and you also want it to be union good luck you are not going to find a job that exists like that right that just doesn't exist now if you want to go into a brand newly built elementary school and roll two-part epoxy on block walls for four months at a time that's a union job right so not good not bad does it fit your personality does it fit your life goals does it fit your family situation it just is um, i had the unique opportunity of me and jason paris going to um, our union hall and our training facility here in minnesota our local iu pat number this and that And the actual head of that union flew in from New Jersey uh, with a contingent of a team and the training facility is wild Right. It's millions and millions of dollars. They have virtual reality aerial lift training and things like that. It's it's great It's great. They're actually an accredited higher education entity Which means if you follow through years and years of their education you can actually get an associate's degree an accredited associate's degree that that might be transferable to other places around the country on paper I love the idea that the problem is it just doesn't attract the people and and it's declining and it's declining so the markets kind of speaking for that which doesn't make it good or it doesn't make it bad it just is but I do I do know that there is a great opportunity on paper I love the idea of being accredited I would love to be an accredited I would love for people to go through my training and get college education credits I would like there to be retirement health insurance uh, dependability which we have in my business actually it's world-class standards and all those things um, the problem is it comes with a lot of other weird stuff which is They push you around other places all over the place. There's things like, um, um, uh, what is it, when you seniority, there's things like seniority. So when they make their winter layoffs, they keep all the most senior people. And if you're new to the union, guess what?
0: You're probably not going to have work and you're probably going to be on unemployment this winter. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners.